I'm going to start with our reading, which is one verse. It is small but mighty. It is John 8, verse 12. Blink and you'll miss it. Um, you probably know it because if you spent any time in Sunday school as a kid, you probably learned it off by heart, maybe with like balloons and popping. I, did anyone else do that in Sunday school? That it popped the different words? Just me, cool. Right, John 8, verse 12. Feel free to have it open, but it's also on the screen. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As we begin, should we pray? Heavenly Father, you shine in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome you. We thank you for these words. We thank you for this um, this passage that is embedded in our brains. And I pray that as we spend some time digging into this idea of light and darkness today, you would shine a light on the things that you need to um, you need us to bring to you. Father, would we leave here knowing you better and loving you more? May we never walk in darkness, but may we have the light of life. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so it's a small but mighty verse. We're not just going to look at this verse. Don't panic. Can you imagine if I was like, we're going to spend 20 minutes just looking at approximately 15 words. We're not going to do that. What we're actually going to do is, um, as we think about this I am phrase, we're going through I am phrases uh, in the evening service at the moment. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the imagery of light and darkness throughout the whole of Scripture. And that's going to help us build a picture for what it means when Jesus arrives in John 8 and says, I am the light of the world. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit nerdy, but it's going to be fun. Nerdy, but fun. It's a brand I can get behind. Okay, so buckle up. (laughs) Um, We're going to do some deep dives into theology and metaphor and scripture, and hopefully we're going to come out of it knowing and loving Jesus even more than when we started. First question, not a trick question. What is the first mention of light in the Bible? What does it say? Let there be light. Yes, it wasn't a trick question. It was actually that easy, I promise. (laughs) Okay, so verse three of Genesis chapter one, let there be light. Light is the first thing that God creates, the first act of creation that he engages in. And so right from the beginning of scripture, light is associated with God's power and with his presence. God's power and his presence. And separating light from darkness is the first act of his power that we come across. And as we move through the Old Testament, and let's spend some time in the Exodus narrative, comes right after Genesis, light, and specifically lightning, is associated with God's presence. Again, his power and his presence. Think of the pillar of fire by night being used to guide the Israelites through the desert. That's light. And think of how the, um, the plagues in, in Egypt, when the plagues come on Egypt, uh, the penultimate so the se- and the second most severe plague is deep darkness. Light goes. And so darkness from the beginning of the Bible is associated with God's absence and light is associated with God's power and presence. 
Light is linked to the presence and power of the Almighty. You're already seeing how when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying quite a lot here. But there's more. The Psalms. I'm sure a number of you can think of different references to God's light in the Psalms, how it's linked to his presence, to his face, to his law, to knowledge of God, to safety and security. I'm just going to throw a couple of Psalms at you, just little verses. So we've got God's presence. Let the light of your face shine upon us. Psalm 4, verse 6. In Psalm 18, it says, My God turns my darkness into light. And about the law, in Psalm 19, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Psalm 27, you probably all know this one, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 43, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. It's about safety and security. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Again, what we see there is God's light is presence. Sin is darkness. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. See what's happening here? Do you see what's going on? The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's about understanding. It's about vision. It's about law. Even the darkness will not be dark to you, for darkness is as light to you. See? Do you get it? Light is always associated with goodness, with uprightness, with righteousness, with safety, with God's presence, with understanding. And then you get to the prophets. And you've got yourself the classic Christmas and Advent verses. It seems outrageous to be thinking about this and come September, but the supermarkets are, so why not? Um, In Isaiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You're good at this. <laughs> On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You can see that we're building towards something here, right? The promise of something on its way. And so much of the prophetic writings of the prophets is made up of, of the prophets talking about and kind of pitting it to darkness of sin. And darkness is again associated with God's absence. And then there's this promise of light. There's a light to the Gentiles. There's a light to the nations. It's littered throughout the prophets. You've got these people straying from God's law, and that's darkness. That's God's absence. And then you've got this promise of a light to the Gentiles, about sins being brought out into the light. We're building again towards something here. Something is being promised. Something is being expected. And in Isaiah 60, it says, The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. God, who is light, 
is promising something big and it will involve an end of darkness and sorrow. And as we think about the people that Jesus is speaking to in this small but mighty verse in John 8, it's pretty safe to assume that they will be rather familiar with the Old Testament, with the Hebrew Bible, with, the, with those writings. This was their holy book. Many of them would have memorized large chunks of it. And so when Jesus stands there and proclaims, I am the light of the world, he's not just saying something nice. All of those things that we've just gone through are going to be clicking in people's heads. It's going to be, he's pointing people back, he's reminding them, he's using trigger words, core phrases to say something bigger than just those few words. He's not just saying, I am the light of the world, but he's saying, I am the one that God has promised. I am, the one with, I am one with the Father. I am the one the prophet spoke of. I am the one who fulfills the law, who brings safety, who can offer you understanding and vision and sanctification. I'm the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is saying way more than just, yay, light. What a great thing. He's making a really deep and profound theological statement. Make sense? Okay, some nods, good. Okay. And excitingly, there's actually even more to dig into when we focus in on the Gospel of John itself. Now, you may be aware the Gospel of John is like the, the black swan of the Gospels, like the rogue sibling. Um, so all the kind of other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, scholars think all kind of take stories from each other and follow broadly the same chronological order, and John's just like hold my bit, and just goes completely rogue on most things. And he's really heavy on imagery and metaphor and theological allegory, and his use of light and dark throughout the gospel is no exception. And hopefully we're just going to unpack that for a minute to help that make a bit more sense to you, okay? So, throughout the gospel, John uses the imagery of light versus darkness to present the readers with a choice. To live in darkness or to live in the light. And light is used throughout the gospel to demonstrate the process of coming to believe in Jesus. That's the imagery that we'll see throughout. This starts in John 1. You can turn to it if you want. Again, it's a classic Christmas passage. It says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Do you see how many times light was mentioned in that first chapter of John? Light in the Gospel of John is about knowing Jesus, about recognizing him for who he is. It's associated with life. It's associated with knowledge and belief. A really good example of this is in John 3. So Nicodemus, everyone knows John 3:16, right? But Nicodemus is a great example of this. In John 3, verse 2, 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes in the shadow of darkness. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Then they engage in this discussion, as you're probably very familiar with. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. He is in a state of disbelief. He has come to question, to explore. But if you flick forward to John 19, verse 39, right after Jesus' death, we find Nicodemus in the light, helping Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus' body. Nicodemus has come to believe in Jesus. He's gone from darkness to light. Is this imagery making sense to you? Okay, some nods again, great. Similarly, in the resurrection narrative, you've got Mary who comes to the tomb while it was still dark. Her faith has been dampened. She is understandably doubting. But as the sun comes up, as dawn breaks, as light breaks through, she sees and believes in the resurrected Christ. And throughout the Gospel of John, there are about 24 different references to light and darkness as as the Gospel writer continues to build on a lot of the Old Testament themes and uses light to talk about good and evil, faith and unbelief. Back to John 3, verses 19 to 21, makes this, uh, excuse the pun, pretty blindingly obvious says this, light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plain, so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is John 3. So this is before Jesus tells everyone that he is the light of the world. So again, we're we're getting into John's building up to something here. So we've got this idea of, of darkness being associated with God's absence, being associated with sin, being associated with hiddenness throughout scripture and into this gospel. And then we've got this idea of light juxtaposed with it, which is about God's power and his presence and his law and safety and sanctification and knowledge of God. And then we arrive into John's gospel and we find Jesus standing there saying, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is making a pretty big statement there. When we think about all the things that have gone before, all of the imagery, all of the reflections, all of the things that are embedded into scripture, embedded into John's gospel, for Jesus to stand and say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Darkness being absence of God, sin, death, destruction. But will have the light of life, power, presence, safety, security, law. There's a lot going on in those 15 words, right? Yeah, okay, nerdy but fun. So, if darkness is associated with sin and with shame and with hiddenness and with God's absence, what does it mean for us 
when Jesus says that he is the light of the world. Fundamentally, it's good news. You'll be surprised to hear. Jesus has come to dispel the darkness, to bring God's presence into our lives, to cast out sin and shame and call us out of hiding and into his marvelous light. I don't know if you've recently been at a baptism service, but in a baptism service in the Anglican church, when you're baptized, uh, you're given a lighted candle. And as you receive it, the minister says these words to you. He says, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has given us a place with the saints in light. You have received the light of Christ. Walk in this light all the days of your life. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, given us a place with the saints in light. You have received the light of Christ. Walk in this light all the days of your life. It's good news. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that is a weighty, profound theological statement littered with good news. But it also is exposing. We all know light is exposing, right? I mean, you've stood in a dark room and turned on the light and then gone, oh gosh. It involves, when, when you, if Jesus is the light of the world, when you stand next to Jesus, when you step into his presence, it involves bringing things into the light that we would rather remain hidden. For Jesus to be the light of the world is for him to say that he sees all, that nothing is hidden from him, no deeds, no thoughts, nothing. John 3.19, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And that can be scary. The idea of Jesus being the light of the world is objectively good news, don't mishear me. But it's also scary because... Where's darkness? Darkness is in the world. Darkness is in our hearts. John is pretty clear about that. Everyone who does evil will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. For all of us, there are parts of our lives, parts of the world that we see, where darkness thrives. But if Jesus is the light of the world and exposes things, he also promises in our passage for today, that second part, that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see the exposing nature of this light, the exposition of of our sin and our brokenness and the darkness of our hearts, which we must not gloss over, when we enter into relationship with Jesus, when we bring it before him, when we bring it into the light, it is then swallowed up by Jesus' light of redemption, of resurrection. That's how this works. And when we are walking with Jesus, the light of the world, we will find ourselves able to cope with the inevitable darkness of the world, the inevitable difficulties we will face because we have light. And as we've seen from the Old Testament, light is good. It's 
It's about safety and security and power and the presence of the almighty God. It's about understanding and vision and sanctification. When we have Jesus, the light of the world, we have the presence of almighty God. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to face the darkness of the world and the darkness of my own heart, I want God next to me. So today, can I encourage you to just dwell for a minute on what it means to live in the light of Christ, to accept Jesus as the light of the world, to think deeply, honestly about the reality of darkness that we see in the world, that we see in ourselves, whether we want to admit it or not, that we see in our lives. There's something about the contrast of light and darkness when you you have to acknowledge the darkness in order to understand the light. Does that make sense? We have to actually really name it and sit with it and understand it and this is really dark. Let's let's call it what it is, whether that's in the world or in ourselves. This is broken. I need this to come out into the light, as messy as it will be. Because I can say with the utmost confidence that those who step into the light of Christ, who let it illuminate all the darkness, all the ickiness, all the sin, who trust their darkness into the hands of the light of the world, into the hands of Jesus, you find something you wouldn't expect. True, deep, profound peace. You find yourself in the presence of Almighty God with all his power and safety and sanctification and redemption and peace. When you step into relationship with the light of the world, darkness has no hold over you anymore. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has given us a place with the saints in light. You have received the light of Christ Walk in this light all the days of your life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's an invitation there, friends. Will you follow him today? Amen.